morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong. Welcome to the final Money Talk of the Week on Radio 3 on Friday the 7th of October. This is Peter Lewis with the business headlines. Private sector business activity in Hong Kong sank into contraction in September for the first time in six months because of restrictions from rising COVID cases at the beginning of the month. The S&P Global Hong Kong PMI fell to 48 in September from 51.2 in August. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee said on Thursday that Hong Kong and neighbouring Shenzhen would work together to attract international talent and enterprises as he held the opportunities presented by collaboration with nearby cities under the central government's Greater Bay Area initiative. US investment bank Goldman Sachs has issued a revised forecast for Hong Kong's property market in which it predicts Hong Kong home prices could plummet by as much as 30% by the end of 2023. It had earlier predicted that prices would fall by a total of 20%. Hong Kong will give away half a million airline tickets, worth 2 billion Hong Kong dollars early next year, to entice travellers to visit the city, once authorities have removed all coronavirus restrictions for arrivals. The Hong Kong Tourism Board will also spend an additional $100 million on various welcome gifts and promotional offers for inbound travellers. Hong Kong's Mandatory Provident Fund posted a record $259 billion Hong Kong dollar loss in the first nine months of 2022. That equates to an average loss of $56,500 for each member. The MPF lost 21.5% on average across all of its funds in the first nine months, the worst performance since it was launched in December 2001. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of Econosis Advisory and Winnie Wu from Bank of America Securities. With a view from Australia is Brad Gibson at Alliance Bernstein. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street overnight, US stocks fell for a second day ahead of the jobs report later today. A flurry of Fed speakers made it clear that inflation was still unacceptably high and the US central bank was a long way from a pause in rate hikes that added to the bearish sentiment. However, all three major indices are on track to end the week more than 4% higher following the biggest two-day rally since 2020 at the start of the final quarter. The S&P 500 lost 1% to 3,745. The Dow fell 347 points, or 1.2%, to 29,927. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 0.7% to 11,073. In Europe, the regional stock 600 index fell 0.6%. London's FTSE 100 ended the session 0.8% lower. Shares in Hong Kong retreated Thursday from the strong gains seen on Wednesday, which were the largest since March. The Hang Seng Index declined 76 points, or 0.4%, to 18,013, after jumping 5.9% the previous day. The Tech Index slid 0.7%. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index sank 1.9% after Goldman Sachs predicted a 30% slump in Hong Kong property prices by the end of next year. And electric vehicle battery maker China Aviation Lithium Battery was unchanged on its first day of trading after raising 9.86 billion Hong Kong dollars in its initial public offering. The offer price was $38 per share. 
In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 1% higher at $94.42 a barrel. Gold is off a third of a percent at $1,712 an ounce. Bond yields rose for a second day, with the 10-year Treasury note adding 8 basis points to 3.84%. And UK gilt yields are moving higher once again, as pension funds sell billions of pounds worth of assets to rebuild their cash buffers before the Bank of England removes its emergency liquidity support next week. The 10-year gilt yield jumped 16 basis points to 4.19%. And the US dollar rallied once again, erasing its losses from earlier in the week. The US dollar index was up 1%. The euro is trading at 98 cents. The buck's worth 145 Japanese yen. Sterling fell 1.4% to $1.11.5 and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 76 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 7.08.5 in offshore markets this morning. And Bitcoin is back below $20,000, trading this morning at $19,900. Asia Pacific stock markets are all falling at the open. The SX200 in Australia off three quarters of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 already down one and a quarter percent, eight minutes into trading. In South Korea, the Cosby is off 0.7 percent. And futures markets pointing to losses of about 200 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Coming up to 8.09, it's a Friday morning and it means we say good morning to Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. And also with us is Willie Wu, China Equity Strategist at Bank of America Securities. Morning to you, Willie. Morning. Thank you. Uh, let's start in Hong Kong. We have had some economic data. Private sector business activity sank into contraction in September for the first time in six months because of restrictions from rising COVID cases at the beginning of the month. The S&P Global Hong Kong PMI fell to 48 in September from 51.2 in August. That's the first drop in private sector activity since March. Output dropped for the first time in six months. New orders shrank after a rise in August and foreign orders, including new orders from China, contracted sharply. Employment decreased by the most since December 2020 and the backlog of work fell for the second month at the row and at the fastest pace in six months and sentiment was downbeat for the second straight month. Andrew, I know you love discussing <laughs> PMI data, so I love putting them in for you. But, but look, this, is, this does chime, doesn't it, with what we're seeing um, in other data elsewhere and also um, what Paul Chan is telling us that basically we've got to expect a contraction this year in the yeah, economy. Uh, absolutely. And I think uh, they're, they're thinking between 0.5 and minus 0.5. I'll definitely go for the minus 0.5 for the year 22. And frankly, I just can't see positive growth for the first half of next year. It's, it's not a nice Why picture. is that? Why is that? Because it is something incredibly simple, okay, for the core part of what ails us, and that is the tourist sector, the Chinese have to lift the restrictions of people traveling from China into Hong Kong. Mm. You can invite all the guailos in the world, and that will be at the very best. It will be 25% of all tourist flows. In the last year that we had proper tourist flows, that was year 19, take a deep breath, 53 million. Last year, we had 94,000. 
you know, the gap is so grotesquely big that whatever we do is going to make no difference whatsoever unless and if the Chinese give visa permission to people to come. Mm. And also, very important, you know, once the poor Chinese tourists come out, they need to go back again with a seven-day quarantine, with continuous testing, with, with, with. You know, it just does, doesn't bear thinking. And p poor Hong Kong has got a hopeless task. So yeah. when John Lee is talking yesterday about working together with neighbouring Shenzhen to attract international talent and enterprises, he was hailing the opportunities uh, presented by the Greater Bay Area. It sounds like from what you're saying, that's all well and good, but unless Chinese people can come here Thank and you. we can go to the Greater Bay Area, it's not yeah. going to help that much. Exactly. And this is not a criticism of Hong Kong. Poor Hong Kong. Look, I've lived here for 37 years. I ache for Hong Kong. Now, whatever Hong Kong does, it's not going to change the... Chinese policy vis-a-vis -vis their citizens coming to Hong Kong. Mm. And right now, they, don't, they are not given visas. Tourist visas were expanded a little bit in terms of groups, not individual. Remember, there was a huge step when finally Chinese people could actually take their passports and go wherever they wanted. Okay, well, right now they can't, except in the case of Macau. But then Macau is not Hong Kong. Mm. So, yeah, it is, it is a hopeless, and everything helps. You know, I don't want to be st stupid and say now by giving away half a million of tickets and a lot of chocolate boxes that people arrive, this is not going to make some difference. It will make a little bit of difference. But, you know, it is quantitative. You know, tourism in Hong Kong equals China. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Let's bring Winnie in. Winnie, what, what do you make, first of all, of this data and the outlook for, for Hong Kong's economy? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a uh, bigger picture level, Hong Kong is kind of stuck in between of the weakness, economic weakness in China and the monetary tightening in the U.S., right? Fundamentally, mm. Hong Kong's economy has more correlation, more linkage to China, like Andrew mentioned, right? Tourism is a big thing for Hong Kong services, consumption-related sectors. But on the other side, because of the dollar pack, Hong Kong's monetary policy rates have to follow U.S. So we saw the, 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 the spike in HIBO recently, which is bad for all the borrowing costs, the mortgage rate. So in this kind of environment, as long as the deviation of China's underlying economy and, uh, and U.S. monetary policy continue to widen in the next few months, Hong Kong will suffer more. However, hopefully, if by second half next year, China could more or less reopen or normalize, right, and whereas U.S. Fed rate will find a peak and start to go down, maybe that's a turnaround for Hong Kong. But then we've got to wait till next year for our economy to recover, and it may take until the second half of next year. Quite possibly. Unless so, China is willing to reopen much faster than mm. the current market expectations. So when the government is talking about its GDP forecast for the full year in a range of minus half a percent to plus half a percent, are you expecting which end of that range are you expecting to see, or maybe even better or worse than that range? Yeah, I think at this moment, there's really a lot of uncertainties. I think a lot of the global investors are focusing on the upcoming China Party Congress that will happen next week, essentially. Any signs of reopening, reduce the COVID quarantine and lockdowns could make a huge impact on Hong Kong's GDP outlook next year. Mm. Whereas on the other side, if China's economy continue to, 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 to suffer, deteriorate next year, then there might be even further downside to the current Hong Kong government forecast.
Okay, so Andrew and Winnie, look, we know the problems. We've got to do something about them. So the Tourist Board uh, is proposing to give away half a million airline tickets worth two billion Hong Kong dollars to entice travellers to visit the city. They're also going to spend a hundred million dollars on gifts and promotional offers. The, the, the whole ticket giveaway is going to be handled by the airport authority, which will buy the tickets uh, from airlines, including Cathay Pacific, Hong Kong Express and Hong Kong Airlines. So what do you make of that plan? Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of a very good expression. You know, I have to be very, very direct and even dry. You know, they had asked Mahatma Gandhi what he thought of Western civilization, and she said, "I think it is a very good idea." Okay, so in the in the same in the same way, okay, these are all very good ideas. Okay, but in the context of what we are discussing, and that is attract more Chinese tourists, this is not going to work. I mean, it's not going to work because it cannot work. Now, I have no idea how will tickets be distributed, to whom it will be distributed, and in which directions they would be flying. I mean, what, the other is Guaylo going back uh, to France or, 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 or England will be given a free ticket to come back. I, I hope not. That will be completely irrelevant. Okay, and uh, the rumor was that this is going to be primarily intra-Asian travel. Mm. And again, it's very interesting to see how this will be distributed. And as for giving presents, come on, people are not going to come to Hong Kong because they are going to give in a box of chocolate and uh, some cosmetics <laughs> on their way in. I mean, it's nice. You know, everything, every little thing helps. But what I'm interested in is quantitatively. Mm. Will this make a big difference? Winnie, what's your thoughts on the plan? Yeah, I mean, I think government is really trying hard to do what they can do, right? The Fed rate hikes beyond their control. China's quarantine policies beyond control. Even Chinese willing, Chinese tourists' willingness to return to Hong Kong after the quarantine reduce is beyond their control. So yeah. within the scope of things that they can do, they are trying. So give them credit, right? Every single bit uh, will help. Um, so hoping, hopefully, that will help bring back some activities and tourism. It will help give more confidence confidence on the Hong Kong local tourist, uh, uh, local consumptions and uh, Hong Kongers' own willingness to go travel and, you know, engaging activities. But one of the problems is, isn't it, we need more flights into Hong Kong. There may be not enough flights anyway. We've heard this week the Virgin Atlantic isn't going to fly from Hong Kong um, anymore. I think British Airways have still, their flights are still suspended. Without uh, airlines actually increasing the flights, this is going to run into problems, isn't it? It's dog changing its own tail. You know, if there are no flights, then tourists, even if they want to come, they can't come. Okay, and if there are no tourists willing to come, the airlines are not going to fly. Uh, you know, it is uh, it is it is pretty pretty hopeless. And I can even sympathise with the airlines because if they thought that's a great idea, let's fly more. You know, it's not a matter on Monday saying, okay, we're going to line up. 150 jets per month to fly. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, they need flying permissions, they need scheduling, they need mm. staff. Well, the Hong Kong Air Crew Officers Association mm. was saying yesterday that Cathay doesn't have enough pilots to, to fly the planes, although Cathay, to be fair, in a statement denies that and said it is hiring more pilots, but they're yeah. saying that uh, the, the, the union is saying so many uh, staff, cockpit staff have been laid off mm. that it's going to be very difficult for Hong Kong to regain uh, its, its position as a global aviation hub. Yeah. 
Well, there, there you go. They're saying it. I'm not. <laughs> I, I don't want to carry on with the gloom here, but um, what about this forecast from Goldman Sachs that uh, Hong Kong home prices could plummet by as much as 30% by the end of 2023? Winnie, what's your thoughts here on the property market? Because that's another big issue for us here, isn't it, with so much wealth tied up in property? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Hong Kong's property market has been quite resilient since basically the worst period between Asian financial crisis in SARS 2003, right? That's the last time Hong Kong's market really see, saw, saw a prolonged, deep uh, correction in property prices. Ever since then, property price is only having small, short period corrections, 10, 15%, 6, 12 months, and then start to rise again. This time, it is a very challenging environment. You know, Fed rate, uh, mortgage rate will probably end up more pressure to go up. But on the other side, you know, the Chinese buyers are not coming back in and uh, underlying economy, consumer confidence, job outlook are all unfavorable. Um, but having said that, I think property market, you know, price is always hard to forecast. What also plays that into that is how the stock market perform. Historically, there's also some correlation between the Hansen index and the property market index, right? Because mm. the stock market also has a wealth effect. So if next year China's stock market Hansen index is still performing like this year, yeah, then the downside risk for property prices could be quite significant. But on the other side, if we see some turnaround, right, um, either it's because global central banks start to ease again or because of China's policy shift, that Hansen index would have, say, 30% upside next year, then the property market may turn out to be much more better than the current expectations. So you think there is 30% upside in the Hansen next year? Well... Tencent pretty much dropped 30% this year. Mm -hmm. So 30% upside don't even bring it back to beginning of this year's levels. Mm. And But it, when you look at the market right now, I mean, it looks like it's going to drop below 18,000 this morning once again. It's, it's breaking through all sorts of technical levels that people, I mean, I don't remember many people forecasting that we will be at this level, 17,800 um, at, at this stage of the year. What's gone wrong? Yeah, I think it's a combination of different factors. I think China's prolonged zero COVID policy against this uh, Omicron virus, which, you know, is less effective in, in front of the Omicron virus, leading to the broad-based disruption to economic activities and consumer yeah. confidence. So I think the weak China economy is probably the number one reason for that. But on top of that, you also have a very aggressive hawkish Fed tightening, you know, draining up the global liquidity. Then there's the escalated geopolitical tensions from the Russian-Ukraine war, which was not expected, to now, you know, increasing U.S. sanctions on all different kind of industries related to China, and also China's own property tightening, internet tightening, adding to the difficulties. So this is a lot of problems uh, that are weighing <laughs> on the market, none of which look like they're going to go away anytime soon. It is the famous expression, Except that what the Romans have done for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, 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 we've got the National Congress coming up at the end of next week, the 20th National Congress. President Xi Jinping is expected to be given his third five-year term. What, once that's over, what can we expect? Do, do you anticipate any sort of change in policy that may be immediately discernible? There are two things here. One is if, as it is 100% certain, 
he will be given what has been reputedly the, the plan. I have no idea. It will be a little bit awkward if he turns up and opens a big box of goodies, okay, mm. like lifting a lot of the, the uh, sort of personal distancing and so on. It sounds as if it is saying a thank you to the Chinese people. And this is not the kind of style of the Communist Party. And I think it will be also, also incorrect, given, of course, that this is so expected that I think it's going to be a bit of a yawn. I mean, uh, there is no way that this is not going to happen. In other words, he will be given an extra term. Okay, what happens after that? Uh, in all probability, the usual bromide speeches, okay, with perhaps some promises. But I think it will not be in the style of the Communist Party, and God knows I don't have any inside information, that there will be a dramatic shift in policy, because it will look as if there was a cause and effect. And mm -hmm. I don't think this is at all what... Uh, what China may want to show the world, okay? Winnie, well, I suppose one of the things we want to see that is going to be very important, perhaps for the markets, is who's going to replace Liu He as sort of the chief economic advisor, the economic czar in the Politburo. Uh, yeah, so there are a lot of different sus suspicions, speculations, um, but I think the popular name that comes up is He Lifeng. Um, but um, in terms of expectation of the party congress, I think, you know, recently we surveyed nearly 300 investors across the world, and their number one focus is if China is going to reopen. And on that, I would say there are potentially four scenarios how it will play out. The most bullish scenario is if there's any clear wording to indicate an intention to reform, mm. or to reopen or normalize, right? The, the, the execution process will be gradual, but as long as they're willing to point to that direction, market will react very so positively. So that's what we're hoping for. Yeah. Okay, well, have a great weekend. Thank you very much. That's Winnie Wu, China Equity Strategist at Bank of America Securities. Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Times 8.24 on the phone from Australia is Brad Gibson, co-head of Asia-Pacific Fixed Income at Alliance Bernstein. Morning, Brad. Welcome back. Great. Good to be back, Peter. Thank you. Well, let's look at uh, the U.S. markets because it's been quite a, an extraordinary week, haven't we? We've had this very strong rebound at the beginning of the week, then things starting to fall back again. It seems like what uh, investors are waiting for next uh, is the jobs data, which is going to come out tomorrow. Do you think that is going to do anything at all to change uh, the Fed's outlook on, on, on interest rates? Um, unlike probably the last 10 years, where it was probably the, the, the economic release to, to watch, no, I don't think that uh, this, this employment or jobs number is going to change um, the Fed's direction, and that's to continue to raise rates. Every time we sort of see the market considering a, a pivot or a change in the Fed's stance and then maybe getting a bit more relaxed about buying equities or, or taking on what's priced into the bond market, the Fed seems to be at pains to come out swinging um, and remind us all that um, their, you know, their, their mandate is to control inflation and that's what they're focused on. Mm. So, yes, the, the jobs number can be volatile, but with an unemployment rate at around 3.7%, which is still very, very low, um, the, the focus for the Fed is, is on inflation. Well, why are we seeing this constant stream of officials come out saying inflation's too high um, and we're nowhere near ending with rate heights? We seem to be almost seeing it day after day. We had three or four again overnight uh, doing that. Every time the market starts to rally, uh, the Fed officials are wheeled out. Why are they so keen to emphasise this? I think that they have concerns that 
yeah, if, if you look at a whole range of studies, the you know, expectations of, of inflation and the, the anchoring of those expectations are very, very important. Once the inflation becomes sort of unhinged, it's very hard to put it back in the bottle. So you know, if the Fed believes, as, as we also believe, that it's got unfinished business in getting inflation back in the bottle, they can't really afford to, to let the market rally too much. And in fact, they always need to slow the, well, they do need to slow the economy to get that inflation back. So I think that's why they do come out so aggressively you know, in the last few months uh, when, the, when the market does think that there is some relief in sight for them. Has, have they left it too late? I mean, have, have inflation's expectations now become entrenched and, um, and become unhinged? Um, I think that the, well, the jury is out. But if you look at, say, um, the US, the, the payrolls number we talked about tonight is important. But probably what's more important in that whole raft of releases is the, the wages number. Mm. And wages in the US are running to now north of 5%. And a wages number of sort of north of 5% is inconsistent with an inflation rate of 2 to 3%. Mm-hmm. That, that's unlike in Australia, which is why the RBA was maybe allowed to only raise rates by 25 basis points, because, unfortunately for me, we only have wages running at about 3.5%, mm-hmm. which is actually consistent with you know, their, their mandate. So, yeah, I think the pressure is on markets in the U.S., uh, more about this, this unhinged of expectations compared to other markets like Australia. So does that mean then that we should carry on expecting maybe the trends that we've been seeing in the last few months continuing, which is for the dollar uh, to strengthen against almost everything and for, for Treasury bond yields to keep rising and dragging yields up everywhere else in the world? Uh, yes, I think that's the, the, the path of least resistance. Um, and as we talked about, if, if the market tries to fight that, that, that might happen for, for a month or two, but ultimately um, rates need to go higher. So the Fed has never finished its tightening cycle before the cash rate has got above the inflation rate, okay? Before you know, we get positive real yields. Mm. And we are, we are some ways from that uh, in, in US and other markets at the moment. So that's going to continue to put, uh, cause problems for, for Asian economies, isn't it? Because we're seeing a whole range yes. of um, Asian currencies slump against the US dollar. We've got the Japanese yen. We've got uh, the Malaysian ringgit, the Philippine peso at an all-time yes. low, the Indian rupee at an all-time low, the offshore yuan at an all-time low. It's, it's almost like it's a race to the bottom now. <laughs> it's, it's not a good mix, is it? You know, we, we often talk about that, that U.S. bond market is, is the U.S.'s problem and that the U.S. dollar is the world's problem. Mm. And, and, and the U.S. dollar is, is absolutely a problem for the world at the moment. If you think about these Asian economies, many of them are very open and, and they import uh, a lot of energy, etc. Um, the cost of imports in U.S. dollars is getting very expensive for them and that actually feeds through to domestic inflation for these economies. So, again, the, the central banks in Asia despite their economies maybe not growing as fast as the US, are almost forced to react um, to continue to raise rates lockstep with the US because of that transference of inflation through the, pol- uh, the currency mechanism. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, it is a concern for, for central banks in Asia, for sure. So, in other words, the, the, the US is exporting its inflation to everyone else in the world? Yes. Yes. And, and there is some chatter about, hey, maybe... We will get another plaza accord or the you know, large central banks will get together and try to limit the strength of the US dollar. That, in my mind, that's not what the Fed wants. The Fed is actually actively trying to tighten their own domestic financial conditions. Mm. So why would they want to go against that by, by lowering the US dollar? That's not consistent. 
So no relief for, for Kanti's yet. Okay, well, thank you very much, Brad. Have a great weekend. That's Brad Gibson, co-head of Asia-Pacific Fixed Income at Alliance Bernstein. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Down in Australia right now, the SX200 is slipping uh, 0.6%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 off 1%. The Cosby in South Korea down half a percent. And the Hang Seng looking set to slide about 200 points at the open when trading gets going this morning. Thank you very much for listening this week. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning at 8 o'clock with Money Talk. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Danny Gittings and Brian Wong this morning. The weather forecast, sunny intervals and a few showers. The maximum temperature is going to be around 30 degrees. And the outlook is for sunny periods over the weekend. The temperature right now is 27 degrees, 83% relative humidity. Time's 8.31. Here's Andy Schwosky with a half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The president of the Travel Agent Owners Association says the government needs to encourage international carriers to come back to Hong Kong. Freddie Yip welcomed the Tourism Board's plan to spend $100 million on a global advertising campaign to promote the SAR. But he said even locals were finding it difficult to get air tickets to fly home. He told RTHK that relaxing pandemic restrictions and helping airlines return were the top priorities. Relax this pandemic control measure to make it zero plus zero first without any restriction for the tourists coming back to Hong Kong. Number two, with the cost of NI sending back the fleet back to Hong Kong, need to have some subsidy or some concession, maybe reduce the landing fee, try to encourage and help the foreign carrier back to Hong Kong. Overseas now, President Biden has taken executive action to pardon all Americans convicted of marijuana possession under federal law. Officials say only about 6,500 people are directly affected. The BBC's Emma Vardy has more. Getting a criminal record for possessing marijuana has imposed needless barriers for people when it comes to employment, housing and education, according to President Biden. And now thousands with convictions will receive a pardon. He's also asked the U.S. Health Secretary to review how marijuana is classified under federal law, saying it makes no sense to be classified at the same level as the drug heroin. The pardons will only apply to people convicted under federal laws, and he's urging state governors to do the same for people with convictions at a local level. The International Monetary Fund has warned that the risk of a global recession is rising. Its managing director, Kristalina Georgieva, said the outlook was getting darker because of Russia's attack on Ukraine and the shocks caused by the pandemic. Ms. Georgieva said it was critical to address the most pressing issues, including rising inflation. First and foremost, we must stabilize the global economy, steady the ship by addressing the most immediate challenges. And as we address the crisis of today, we must revitalize global cooperation and transform our economies so they can withstand the shocks to come. The jailed Russian opposition politician Vladimir Karamusa has been charged with treason. Investigators allege that Mr. Karamusa was sharing information with intelligence services from NATO countries for which he was allegedly paid 30,000 U.S. dollars a month. Mr. Karamusa is also a prominent journalist. He was arrested in April. The news from RTHK.
Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Brian Wong. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Danny. In our main topic this morning, we're looking at recent calls for decolonization of Hong Kong. One lawmaker has called for authorities to speed up the removal of pre-1997 terms from the statute books. While Dagong Bao, a Chinese state-owned newspaper, said the long queues of mourners paying tribute to the late Queen Elizabeth II outside the British consulate showed more work needs to be done.